0: And please be seated. Aha, there it is. I was just wondering if we were having trouble. So, you are probably wondering this morning why we gathered you here in flannel. What is that all about? Why did we do that? Well, first of all, I'm a very strong believer in practical illustrations. And, and frankly, I think if you're wearing it, you might remember it. So that's part of it. Uh, I promise you that as we go along this morning, the relevance of wearing flannel is going to, going to show up. You're going to get an idea of what we're doing. And besides you know, flannel just seems to go along with the chili thing, and, and flannel is so comfortable to wear. I mean, those of you who are wearing flannel this morning, doesn't it feel like you're getting away with something? <laughs> you know, it feels like, man, I can wear flannel in church. What's this about? This is, this is cool. Yes, you can wear flannel in church, not just today, but we want you to be comfortable today. I want to jump in this morning to the scripture that we're going to be going in and out of today, and that is 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I want to give you a little background before we get into that today. Um, we're talking about Samuel. Samuel ministered before the Lord, even from the time that he was a small child. And, uh, and as he go- got older, it says, the boy Samuel continued to grow in the stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. In other words, as he was growing up, the people began to recognize this man's a prophet and he's a great prophet at that. And he really follows God. And all kinds of things happen. We're not going to get into that part of the story today, but, but Eli allowed his sons to get away with murder. And, and uh, as a result, Eli, the high priest, lost his position rather dramatically. And from that point on, Samuel the prophet ruled the people of Israel. And, uh, and that went on for many, many years of his life. In fact, for most of his life. But, you know, towards the end of his life, as he got much older, the, the people began to get unruly. And they demanded that Samuel appoint a king to lead them, just like all the other countries that were around them. God had to remind Samuel that it wasn't about him because Samuel was very hurt when they started asking for a king. After all, he had ruled them quite well for many, many years. But God told Samuel the people weren't really rejecting him. They were rejecting God himself. And so God allowed Samuel to appoint a king like the people were clamoring for. And that first king of Israel was Saul, Now, Scripture says that that Saul was a man of standing. He came from a really good family, and he's described this way. He's as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Well, he turned out also to be a good warrior. He fought well for Israel. But he also turned out to be a very bad king, a terrible king. He looked great. He had a great resume. He he did really well in so many things, but in the end, he disobeyed God, and God rejected Saul as king. Saul was kind of the king they deserved. You know, they asked for a king against God's will. God gave them what they asked for. And that brings me to my first point this morning. Man's plans are a little bit like silk and satin. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When we make choices, we try to choose the best, don't we? Uh, We often base our choice on appearance. We're not much different than they were. When we select people, we often choose people like Saul, the people who come from the right family, who have the right resume, the people who, who look good, the people who really shine, the people that have the best voice, the strongest presentation, the shiniest. When we choose a school, we think of the best school. When we look for a position, we look for the best position. But, you know, in our choosing, sometimes we don't stop to talk to God about it. We don't allow God to make his choice in our lives. Uh, Do we often stop to ask God what he would choose when we're, we're looking, you know, filling out that job application or... You know, when we're thinking about signing on the line for that mortgage or making a move in our lives, when we're planning our own lives or planning our children's lives, are we listening to God? You know, schools, careers, retirement, is, is God consulted? Are we talking to God? Or do we give God kind of lip service and go for what shines the best, what looks the brightest? When our daughter was getting married, I, I went to the cupboard and I realized that the suit that I had was not going to be suitable for the wedding. It just wouldn't work out. It was pretty old, and so I, I needed a new one, and I had to get one, and I shopped around a bit. I was online and went to different stores, and finally, I got a nice suit. And I bought a nice shirt to go with that, and uh, it was pricier than I wanted to pay, but it wasn't too pricey, so it was good. While I was looking online, looking for suits, I kind of got curious. I wondered, you know, you get curious about weird things sometimes, you get off on tangents. And I wondered, you know, what was the most expensive suit ever made? You know, what could that be? How expensive could that be? Well, it turned out that the most expensive suit ever made was by designers Stuart Hughes and Richard Jules of Manchester and Hughes in London, or in Liverpool, rather. This is called the Diamond Edition Suit. And it's made from a a blend of cashmere wool and silk and diamonds. And it took 600 man-hours to create. It has 480 diamonds strategically placed around the front of the suit. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing if you like that kind of thing. Guess how much it costs? $892,000. $892,000. Now, I paid just a little bit less than that for my suit. <laughs> and it's a good thing I don't need the best or the most expensive. That goes well beyond my reach. But our tendency is to go looking for that, isn't it? You know, in all things in life, we tend to look for the the very best. You know, as believers, we do need to do the best. We need to seek the best. But I think what we need to seek as the best is to seek what God would choose for us in our Christian lives. Do we ask God about that next step? You know, he might take us to a different place than the one that we've originally chosen for ourselves. He might have a different path for us. We want to include God in the choices that we make. What happens when we leave God out of the equation? Sometimes some pretty bad stuff can happen. I've seen people make some pretty significant choices in life, and I'll say to them, you know, did you pray about that first? Well, it was a good buy. (laughs) It was a good location, But did you pray about that? Did you ask God if that was really where he wanted you to be at this point in in your life? We might end up with what we want, like Israel ended up getting King Saul. But do we get what God wants for us? We want to remember this as we go through this message this morning. The people wanted a king, and God gave them the king that they wanted. But that king was rejected as unworthy. And so... Here we go into the next part of the story. Samuel sends, or or God sends Samuel out a second time. And this time he sends him out to find a new king. And this kind of a king is a different one. This time it's a man of God's own choosing. So I want to read that passage for you this morning. I'm going to put the reference up here on the screen. If you want to follow along in your own Bible today, we're in 1 Samuel 16. We're going to look at the first 13 verses of that. Let me read that. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as a king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse in Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him, and they asked him, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And then Jesse had Shammah pass before them. And Jesse said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him, and we will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of God came powerfully on David. And Samuel went on to Ramah. Well, notice that that even Samuel, this this man who kind of knows how God operates, because he's walked very, very close with God his whole life, He's listening to God. He hears God's voice. And and nearby in the scriptures there, it says that it was a fairly rare occurrence to hear God's voice in those days. But but Samuel the prophet heard God's God's voice clearly. And yet even he made the same kind of mistake that we might make. He came upon Eliab, the, the oldest. He was the tallest. He was the firstborn son in Jesse's family. And he assumed, ah, This must be the God's anointed. This must be the one that God has selected. But that wasn't it. Here's the key verse. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So each son gets paraded by Samuel, and of course each time, nope, that's not the one. God hasn't chosen him, and he keeps going till he runs out of sons. And finally they bring David. And and David's out in the field. I I don't know if you remember from the Christmas story about shepherds. But shepherds, they spent most of their time with the flocks and and because of their occupation they didn't have the opportunity or the time given to them so that they could do the cleansing and the washing so that they could come and worship god properly they they couldn't come to the temple to worship for example because they were unclean and they were considered to be you know kind of rejects shepherds were considered to be thieves and and not people of, of really good character and so here's this youngest son Here's, here's not the one who's expected. Here's the one who probably didn't have the greatest reputation just simply because of what he did. And, and God called him. You now, there's kind of a rule among the people of Israel. Uh, there's a firm custom that the firstborn male had all the authority. The others who came after him were expected to follow his lead. And, and he would lead the family in his father's place all his life. Even after his father died, they would still follow him. And when inheritance time came, that person, they got a double share of their father's estate, and everybody else got less. The firstborn had the place of highest esteem. You know, we read in the New Testament that Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation. Now, that doesn't mean that he was first in the birth order. That means that Jesus held from eternity the premier place, He was the one in prime authority. He was the firstborn by not only position, but he was the firstborn by title. But when God chose a king, God didn't follow the rules. God didn't choose that tallest one. He didn't follow the one that tradition dictated had to be chosen. God didn't choose the firstborn in the family. He chose the lastborn to be first. Heard that somewhere before? First must be last, and the last will be first. He chose the youngest, and he elevated the lowest and the youngest to the premier place, to the primary place. He elevated him to the firstborn status in the family. Now, if we were doing the choosing, we would probably follow the rules. We would probably, you know, or maybe we would follow our eyes and go with the guy who looked the best, looked the strongest the one who we're supposed to favor. But it turns out that God is a lot more interested in our heart than in position or in appearance, or even status. He's more interested in what's going on on the inside than he is with fancy dress. It turns out that God is a lot less interested in silk and satin than he is in flannel. God's plans are flannel. God has a habit of turning the order of things upside down. He often uses what some have called the law of reversal. He uses the unexpected, the less favored. He uses the weaker, the road less traveled. Instead of kings and cashmere and diamonds, he chooses flannel people. Now, I was reading all about flannel, as you might imagine, over the last couple of weeks. And and one of the things I learned was that flannel was originally the clothing of the average or even poor person. It wears well, it's warm, it, it's somewhat water resistant. When they make flannel, they actually card it. I don't know if you've seen carding wool, but you take it, you know, it's got this thing with this brush with steel prongs, and they pull all the wool, and and it lines the fibers up all in one direction, which makes it shed water a little bit easier, and it keeps it closer and warmer. It was a very cheap fabric until it became trendy. I don't know if you know who brought this fabric to uh, America. Anybody ever wear Carhartt clothing? It's a guy by the name of Hamilton Carhartt in 1889 His clothing was made specifically for the working class, for the average person. His idea was to make a top quality product that was durable and affordable. By the way, you guys can thank people like Kurt Cobain and uh, bands like Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and the grunge movement for making flannel more expensive. Because in the 90s, it became really trendy to wear beat-up old flannel shirts when you were playing up there on stage. And they soon became very popular. And everybody started wearing flannel. It was hip to wear flannel. And then about 10 years later, it was the hipster thing to wear flannel. And of course, today, everybody wears flannel to get their Christmas pictures, right? All the flannel jammies and all that stuff. You know, it's, it's interesting how trends go. But flannel was the common man's cloth. It was the, you know we, know, we think of lumberjacks, right? Think of a lumberjack in flannel, right? It was the common man, the working man, who wore flannel. Not just the upper echelon of society that, you'll notice that it's not just that upper echelon of society that God uses the most. It's the ordinary people. If you take a trip through scripture, think about the people that God uses. Who does God use? He, you know, here he's using David, the lastborn, instead of Eliab, the firstborn. Uh, he's the first because God chose him and brought him there into that position. Firstborn writes in other stories: they went to people like uh, Jacob, the sneaky brother, the brother of Esau. And Jacob became the father of nations, too many to count. God used Moses. Moses didn't speak well, but God called him anyway. He was a murderer, and God called him to lead his people. That law of reversal there again, the last person you would expect for God to use was the person that God used. Firstborn rights went to Japheth. He was Noah's third son, not even the second son. Where there's a rule, God often makes an exception. And where there's a tradition, God sometimes shows us a new way, right? It's not the silk and satin and the diamond way. It's the way of the flannel. God uses the weak instead of the strong. It's kind of like you think about the kid bringing his lunch for his brothers, and he ends up slaying the giant, right? That outcast shepherd boy who becomes the king. God uses the ordinary people to do important things. You know, if you go through uh, Scripture again, in Mark 14, there's a really interesting story. There's a person you might not even notice as you read that story. The disciples are told to follow a man carrying a water jar. Now, this, this water jar man, he's taking them to his house where he's going to host the Last Supper. Now we aren't told who this man is. We're not told why he's chosen, but he's obviously been obedient to Jesus when he, when he was asked and offered His home to Jesus. The disciples are told simply follow the man with the water jar. And we're reminded of that story when we, we do the Lord's Supper, especially at Easter time. That home was where Jesus ate His last meal before the crucifixion. That unknown man was what I would call a flannel person. He was an ordinary person that God used to do something pretty important. In John 6, the boy with five loaves and two fishes, he becomes pretty important. His lunch is used to feed 5,000 people. And he gave what he had, something very ordinary. And Jesus used it to do something very extraordinary. He did a miracle, a major miracle. See, God uses flannel people. In the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, in John 4, it's, it's not a high society social media influencer that Jesus meets at the well. This is an outcast woman. She's there at the wrong time of day drawing water because at that time, at least she won't have people there to harass her. And she talks to Jesus and she learns things about herself and learns things about Jesus in her encounter with him at the well and she runs into town and she tells all kinds of people and John 4.39 says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of that woman's testimony that he told me everything I ever did. This is an ordinary woman. This is a flannel person. This is a promiscuous, rejected woman. And she is the reason that many people came to faith in that town. And she's now part of our faith history. God uses the flannel people. Isaiah 55 and 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. God picks people his own way. He picks his servants differently than we would, I think. He turns things upside down. He uses the lowly to accomplish great things. Think about who he called. He used fishermen and tax collectors and political zealots and doubters and biker types like James and John, the Sons of Thunder. God chose unusual people. God used a carpenter to save the whole world. Man's plans are silk and satin. They're often superficial. They look really, really good, but that's not where God's going. God's plans are usually flannel. He uses the ordinary person, the the one you might least expect, And what that implies is that God's plans include you. The real you, not just the you that you show us when you're talking weather at the coffee bar here on Sunday morning, the entire you God wants to use. Even the parts that, that remain hidden Because there's some shame attached to it. Even the parts that, you know, all the nasty bits that we've tidied up for public consumption. You know? The rooms in our heart that are full of hurt. All those hidden parts. God uses them. If you have believed in Jesus and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he has redeemed all of that. And he's still redeeming it. Sometimes there's a process of healing, isn't there? And God is involved in that redemption. You know, we talked about this in our last sermon in the Healing Choices series, that that God has worked even the bad things in our lives together for good. God uses a variety of people, the so-called good people, the sinful people, the ones with no secrets, the ones with terrible skeletons in their closet. He redeems us, when we come to him for salvation and all those things in our lives have been reshaped by god into the person that you are right now think about that you know we are the result of some of the things that we've been through and we think of some of those things as terrible and bad and some of the experiences certainly were but god will redeem those things in your life flannel people, (laughs) the ordinary, the hard-working people, the lumberjacks, the rail workers, machine press operators, carpenters, bus drivers, housewives, postal workers, bank employees, night watchmen, you name it. God will use you. You know, throughout the Bible, God uses the flannel people, the ordinary people, more than he uses the silk and satin people. He does that to accomplish his own will. If the real you is continuing to sin, God's going to call you out from that, call you away from that. If the real you feels like you have no place of importance in God's kingdom, I'm here to tell you today that that's a lie. That's not the truth. That's something the devil wants you to feel. Because you are important in God's kingdom. And it's people like you that God plans to use. You know, I'm so sick and tired of hearing the message of the celebrity gospel. You know, this idea where God only uses especially gifted people or well-spoken people or the famous people. You know, you hear that kind of stuff all the time. God uses the flannel people, the ordinary person, I had to laugh this week. I listened to Julie Royce. She's, uh, she's very, very good at kind of looking at abusive issues in the church. And one of the things she was talking about this week was about prophetic messages. And she pointed out, you know, how come prophetic messages that people get for you are always about the spectacular? You know, why aren't they about the ordinary that God does more often in people's lives? She says, when is somebody going to get a prophetic word that you're going to live out your life in relative obscurity? And you're going to serve your family. And you're going to do it faithfully and well. When are we going to hear that that's going to be a beautiful thing that God's birthed in you? That your life's going to be remarkably normal. But you're going to live faithfully for him. And you're going to touch some people profoundly through living that quiet life. I love that. (laughs) That just like hit me between the eyes. I like what the New Living Translation says in, in this verse that we're using this morning, 1 Samuel 16, 7. The way they say it, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. I like the way that's put. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's the key. God is looking at your heart. You know, He doesn't expect perfection. What he's doing is he's looking at your teachability, your usability. You're willing to submit to him and to follow him. When it comes to spiritual lives, we worship a God who prefers flannel to glitz any day of the week. That's the God we serve. Flannel is the uniform of the person God uses to accomplish great things in the world. We keep trying to outguess God. We keep trying to put God in a box, and God is way, way, way outside of the box. Amen? You know, I I can hardly wait for cold weather each year. Now, not just because I'm a Canadian, (laughs) But, but because I get to put the flannel sheets on the bed. Anybody else feel like that? You know, it gets cold and you get those, oh, it's so nice to slide in there on a cold night and it feels so good to get into those sheets. Next time you put flannel sheets on the bed or next time you put your flannel shirt on, I hope you'll say, God loves me no matter what. Now that's, that's connected to the second thought and that is I'm the kind of person That God uses to do important things. Can you say that with me? I'm the kind of person God uses to do important things. Let the flannel remind you we're flannel people. Heavenly Father, Thank you that we are flannel people, ordinary people who have great value in your kingdom and in your plan. Lord, redeem our lives entirely. Use us in the way you wish, any way you wish, even if that's to live a simple and quiet life for Jesus. And God, help us to remember that that even in our simple and quiet lives, we can have a profound effect for you on the people around us. Lord, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.